where we've been now for quite some time, and that's where we're going to be. Philippians 1 and 2 brought us all the way up to Thanksgiving, and that's the first two chapters, and now we have two more chapters. Tonight we're going to start into chapter 3 and move towards the end of the book. It doesn't take long for you to see that Philippians is not very long. Chapter 1 has 30 verses, chapter 2 has 30 verses, chapter 3 has 21 verses, and then chapter 4 has 23 verses. So let's see, 30, 60, 81, another 80, 100, 104 verses in the book of Philippians. Four chapters, 104 verses, it's not very long. But tonight, because it is such a transition, I want us to look at just one verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Please read it with me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Since it's short, let's read it again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Seems like Paul is wrapping up his letter here, but he's not. There's a lot left, right? He's at the very middle. He's just beginning chapter 3. He's halfway through. He's only finished two chapters, 60 verses, and he's got another 44 verses to go, but he uses the word finally. But if you've studied Philippians, which we have, and I know that not, not, not all of you are here that often on Sunday nights, we have seen that Philippians is really a neat book. It really is. A lot of books have all these big categories and themes and structures to them, and Philippians doesn't really seem to have that. There aren't any big major ideas coming out in Philippians, except for that it's just really good. It's really encouraging. But it's Paul writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and as you know, Paul is in prison. But in this book, the short little letter, there are lots of transitions, It gets you thinking, in a similar way to what we just saw Curtis do, he raised his hand to say he's thankful for his family, but before long he was thankful for all sorts of things, right? And that's often the way encouragement and talking and and, and edification works. This kind of happens with Paul. It happens a lot with Paul, but it looks like this is what's happening in Philippians. I want to show you what I'm talking about. If you look at chapter 2, verse 1, he begins with the word so, which means that whatever he said before led him to say what he's about to say now. But if you'll keep going a little bit to chapter 2, verse 12, he says, therefore, which means he's building this off of what he just said. But what he had just said had a so at the beginning of it, right? Okay? Well, then you get to chapter 3, verse 1, and I want to remind you that when Paul wrote this, there weren't chapter and verse, just one big thing. You get to chapter 3, and he says, okay, finally, my brothers. And you think, okay, he's starting to maybe wrap this thing up. You get to chapter 3, verse 17, and he says, brothers again. You get to chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, therefore, my brothers. Right? It's like he said something, and that got him thinking about something else, and that got him thinking about something else, and that got him thinking about something else, and he's such a fiery guy. He's such a missionary for the Lord. He's such a a zealous guy because he is in prison for the sake of Jesus. Jesus is his truly everything that he got to talking to a church about Jesus, and the next thing you know, man, he's just talking about all kinds of good stuff, and if you think about it, he does talk about preaching the gospel in there. He does talk about, remember, death, to live as Christ and to die as gain. He 
talks about how it'd be better for him to die. See, there's some big things in there. Then you get into chapter two, and there's that Christ him, that awesome Christ him that is in chapter two, verses five through 11. And, and you've got all this, and he, and he keeps going. Chapter three, he starts boasting about who he is. That definitely seems like he didn't plan to say that. He just led into that. He starts talking about himself a lot. Then chapter three, he turns it back, and you've got that great quote for, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It seems here with this book of Philippians, like Paul got going, talking to a church about Jesus, and next thing you know, all of these awesome thoughts came up, right? A lot of times that's how my preaching goes on Sunday mornings. I'm serious about that, and y'all know that, right? I'll have a good, nice 30-minute sermon in my notes, but I'm so excited to talk to you about this that I don't want to stop. And the next thing it is, is I got that clock up there, and that clock is screaming at me to stop, hurry up and stop. But you see how this can happen, right? Surely you've had a conversation with a, a family member or a coworker or a brother or sister in Christ or somebody at church, and the next thing you know, y'all are pouring out your heart together, talking about all that the Lord is doing, and you realize, man, we've been sitting here talking for 15 minutes. We've been talking for an hour, right, about Jesus. I hope that's happened to you before. Well, it seems in some ways that Philippians is like this a little bit. He actually uses finally even a couple times. Here today, chapter 3, verse 1 says finally. What is finally supposed to mean? Wrapping it up, right? Sometimes with you guys, I've seen the clock say five till, and I go, all right, my, my last point. And y'all are thinking, all right, he said last point a while ago. That's what I'm thinking when I see Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He's saying finally. But there's a lot more that comes. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. What's it say? Finally. <laughs> well, what does finally mean to Paul? It means that this guy is in prison, in chains, and he's got a church he's writing a letter to, and he's telling them, trust in Jesus. Right? So I want us to look at chapter 3, verse 1, now that we have that. And I want to understand that finally doesn't really mean finally. It may mean that he's transitioning. Well, it certainly means that he's transitioning. It may mean that he thought that he was about to finish, but a whole lot of other stuff came to, came to mind once he started going. But He says finally, which gives some emphasis. My brothers, my brothers and sisters, and here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. Church, you need to be reminded tonight that your life needs rejoicing. It does. Your life needs rejoicing. This is a command in Scripture from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Finally, guys and girls, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I want to ask you if you rejoice. I wanted to preach just this verse tonight. Obviously, you see that it could have gone together. We could have gone there all the way down to verse 4. We could have gone there all the way to verse 11. We could have broken this up however we wanted to. But I wanted to stay right there at chapter 3, verse 1, and just preach to you all tonight on the need to rejoice. Are you rejoicing? Are you rejoicing? Do you rejoice in the Lord? Rejoice is to express your joy. Y'all know that, right? Rejoice is to express your joy. You're rejoicing. When was the last time that you rejoiced? 
I know you sometimes rejoice over a ball game or rejoice over some good news or, or something like that, but Paul here qualifies the rejoicing to rejoice in the Lord. I'm serious. I want you to think for a second. When was the last time the Lord caused you to rejoice? You know, on Wednesday nights, on Sunday, Wednesday nights I give you all like 10, 10 minutes or so. On Sunday nights I give you like two minutes, but I ask you to share anything that you're encouraged about, and so often nobody says anything. Now, granted, I get you don't like raising your hand and you're, you're tired and all that. And so I, I, I know that it's not that you're rejoicing. But so often I will say to you all, there is so much you have to be rejoicing about. And as you just heard me pray, there is a lot to, to weigh us down and to keep us from rejoicing. But it is a command in Scripture that we are to be rejoicing. And this is why I opened up tonight with Psalm 98. Psalm 98 said this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time that your body just responded to the joy of the Lord, honestly? Do you sing in the shower? Do you sing songs to God in the shower? Let me take that back. Do you sing songs to God in the shower? When was the last time that you turned the radio up and sang loud? Not some meaningless country song, but a true song to God. When was the last time that you rejoiced in the Lord? When is the last time that you got the family together and you did like Curtis just did and said, man, I don't really know how to explain this, but I'm just so happy right now and I love y'all. dawned on me recently a couple different times that when a, these days when a husband and wife have five kids with them, it's a little bit odd. And I realize that five's not that many. It seems like a lot to you all, but it's not that many. I know people that have more. Matt McBroom has six right now. That's more than us. My, my buddy has six and just called Val yesterday to say that they're pregnant with their seventh. The missionary Brian Kaiser that we support in Saudi Arabia, they have like eight or nine. Okay, big, big families are, are nice. Today we had a lady visit church for the first time and, and we asked if we could take her out to lunch and we went out to lunch today afterward, just went down here to Taco Bell. I thought we could go cheap, but Taco Bell's not even cheap for that many people. And uh, she, one of her kids is an eight-year-old. And I promise you, while we were at Taco Bell over like a 30-minute lunch, must have been five times where he kept going, Excuse me, sir, which of these kids is yours? And I'd say, oh, they're all mine. Oh, all of these kids are yours? And then a few minutes later, he'd say, which one did you say was yours? I said, they're all mine. He said, oh, all of these kids are yours? And then the third time, I'm, I'm telling you the honest truth. I'm sitting here at this booth, and all the kids are in a booth behind me, and he taps me on the shoulder again, and he says, excuse me, sir. Which of these kids is yours? I said, they're all mine. He said, wow, you must be a rich man. That's what he said. And I laughed and I said, oh, I am. Maybe not in the way that you're thinking of being rich, but I absolutely am. But I was thinking about my family. Because yesterday we all loaded up 
took them to a Christmas tree lot and ran around. They're playing hide and seek in there. And we all had to agree, all seven of us, on do you like this tree? And had to make sure everybody picked out the good one. And I love doing that. I really do. I love doing that. You know why I love doing it? Because I remember so clearly being a little kid and my dad always took us to a Christmas tree lot. And I would do the exact same thing. I'd run around. And you know that like a Fraser fir, you know how those trees smell, right? And you get to watch. I don't know if you've ever done that before. If you haven't, absolutely go get you a real tree for once. I know nobody likes real trees anymore, but, but I do. And you get to watch them. They'll cut the branches off. And then they have to cut off the bottom so it's going to be fresh to put water in it. And then they have this machine that shakes the tree so that all the leaves and this just this, shakes the tree like crazy. And I was trying to trick Noah, and I'm going to get Noah on that machine and turn that thing on and just shake him like crazy. And then they put it through this thing that wraps it up in a net, and then they tied it on top of our van, and we all rode away. And Val stood out on New Cut Road and took pictures of all the kids hanging out with a tree on top of the van. And you know, all that stuff's happening. But I remember being a kid, and my dad did that with us. And I'm saying that to say I love, I love my family. But it's, a, it's, a, it's like a feeling that comes upon you that says, I'm just happy. I'm just happy with my family. Paul here in Philippians is trying to teach the church being in the Lord creates rejoicing. Now church, I'm not talking about the rejoicing that is, that is a flippant like, yes, somebody just scored a touchdown I'm talking about more of a, a positional. I know Jesus. My sins are forgiven. We sang that song this morning. We sang it again tonight. They said we sang it last Sunday. I wasn't here last Sunday. I love that song. And that song that we just sang says, your blood has washed away my sins. Jesus, thank you. If you get that, you believe that, if your sins bother you, and yet you know fully that the wrath of God has been satisfied through Jesus, your heart is joyful. Now, what I want to point out to you, and this is where this gets really, really good in the book of Philippians, is the guy telling us to rejoice in the Lord is not taking his family to a Christmas tree lot. He may not even have a family. The guy doing this is not sitting around with all the beautiful circumstances in life and saying, man, I'm really blessed. I got it good. Praise the Lord. He's not. He's telling us this while his feet and his hands are in chains and he's in prison and he's telling us to rejoice in the Lord. In other words, what Paul understands is the truths of the gospel, the good news of how much God loves us is enough to create a joy in you despite whatever life has given you. And we here, it should be the case, Sunday night church goers, we already got a whole morning of church and we're back again tonight. You ought to be the ones who understand that the command in scripture to rejoice in the Lord is not hard. It is something that your soul wants to do. But you have to have this perspective that says it's not about how good life is necessarily, it's about how good God is and I've got God. 
this morning, and, and, and you may see it on Sunday mornings. I'm not sure if you pay attention, but I'm, I'm standing right here, and, and my family's right there, and, and Eli, or one of the kids, always wants to come stand with me, and they usually come stand in front of me, and this morning it was Eli, and we were singing, and then we got to that song, It Is Well, and everybody knows it as well. It's such a good song. And so I leaned down to Eli, and I said, Eli, this is one of the most well-known songs that Christians sing. I said, Eli, you know, what's, you know why Christians say it is well? Because sometimes life's not well, and sometimes life is well. But when you know God, and when you know Jesus, everything's still well. And we sing that, Eli. And I was talking him through that while the song was going on, right? It is well with my soul. Even if the family drama's huge, even if the money is short, even if the tension is high, even if there are struggles in our lives, it is well with our soul. You know what? Just a little bit longer and we'll be to heaven. Just a little bit longer and Jesus will be coming back. Our sins are forgiven. And Paul understands this writing from prison when he says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, this chapter 3, verse 1 is the first time that he says in the Lord, but this theme of joy and rejoicing is throughout. And I want you to see this. If there is any theme at all in the book of Philippians, it might be Paul's joy, which is outstanding. And I want to show you. So turn to chapter 1 and follow along with me, okay? I want you to be thinking about what makes him joyful. Okay, I want you to be thinking about what makes him joyful. Chapter 1, verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. You know what makes Paul joyful? Praying for this church. Man, if you've not been joyful lately, would you consider praying sometime tomorrow? If you get 30 minutes for lunch, would you do a 20-minute lunch and take 10 minutes to pray? Would you consider getting ready five minutes quicker so that when you get to work and you're in your car, you would pause for five minutes and pray and see if God doesn't make you more joyful? Chapter 1, verse 4, Paul is joyful because he prays for the Philippians. Fascinating, right? Jump down to verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You know what makes Paul joyful and rejoice? When people are sharing Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Hey, when we hear that people are talking about Jesus here, people are talking about Jesus there, when we hear of churches that are healthy and that are preaching the gospel, when we hear of people that are sharing their faith and that are preaching the gospel, when y'all hear that every Thursday I'm down here at this school preaching to them inside of a gym, inside of a locker room about Jesus, that ought to make you joyful. right? Just last week, on Monday of last week, we were at... Um, we were at Bethel Missionary Baptist Church for the Thanksgiving service, and there was a whole mix of people there, and Cedric got to stand up and tell his testimony. If you were there, you heard that. So awesome to me, should be so awesome to you to think that there are young people in our church growing up knowing the Lord and then telling people about the Lord, right? 
Paul is in prison going, dude, this is awesome. There are people out there preaching Christ, and in that, I rejoice. Move over to verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That's what he says right after the whole death talk. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm really torn between the two because if I know if I was to die, that means I'd be with God in heaven forever. But if I don't die, then I'll stay here and I'll get to do ministry and the ministry is good for you. And he says, you know what? I guess I'm going to stay here because God hasn't taken me yet. And since I'm staying here, guess what that means? progress and joy in the faith. Do you see ministry as that? Do you see ministry as that? Ministry is ugly. It's super messy. People's lives are messy. I think you know that right now. But the progress of doing the work of God produces joy. It does. It really does. That girl that got saved this morning has started coming because her older brother is friends with Stephen that just got baptized about a year and a half ago in our church. I don't know if you know Stephen, new member. And he's been talking to that whole family about the Lord, and she started coming because of that. You know why Stephen started coming? Because he's John Law's cousin. And John Law started talking to Stephen about the Lord, right? Ministry's messy. All of our lives are a mess. But at the same time, putting the word of God before people is what God has asked us to do. And when we do that, God works. When we do that, God works. Yesterday, I was doing all that. We had the widow's deacon's luncheon. I did the Christmas tree. You get home, you got to put up a Christmas tree, and it's just like this never-ending cycle of things you need to do. But I wanted to get to Miss Jeannie's house so that I could pray with her, and then I also needed to go to the hospital because I wanted to see Catherine Harden. Well, I told him, well, I thought I was going to go around 5. Next thing you know, it's 6. Next thing you know, it's 7. Next thing you know, the Clemson game started. It's 8 o'clock. Next thing you know, it's looking like I'm I'm not going to be able to go. So I I I hadn't told him I was coming, but I sent him a text. I said, I'll be there around 9. Last night. We end up getting there to the hospital at around 10. And it's an awkward setting. You know, she's there in the hospital. Her sister's there that I hardly know. There's some uh, worker there, and there's other people showing up. And I didn't know. And the whole time, I'm just praying, God, I don't really know what to say. God, I don't know what to read. What should I do? I, I, I didn't know. And that's bad when this is your career, and I should know what to say of all people, right? But I didn't. I didn't know. I ended up reading to them one of my favorite passages of Scripture and talking through it. I didn't know if they cared or if they were listening at all. Today I got a text this afternoon from one of the family members that wasn't there that said, what did you read to them? Because they haven't stopped talking about it. That passage of Scripture really impacted them. Y'all, the, the, the progress of ministry is joyful. It is messy, but there is rejoicing. In chapter, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I'm praying for you guys, and it makes me happy. In chapter uh, 1, verse 18, he says, people are preaching Christ, and I rejoice in that. In verses 24 and 25, he says, the ministry will go on, and I rejoice in that. Well, let's go over to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. If there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. 
Paul says it makes him joyful when that church is united. Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 28. Remember, he was talking about Epaphroditus. We heard that sermon. I think it was Austin that preached that one. Chapter 2, verse 25 brings up Epaphroditus. But look what he says in verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Man, I love this church, don't you? I love the church of, uh, in Philippi. There's one guy that's not with them that's visiting Paul in prison, and Paul says when he, when he gets there, man, y'all are going to rejoice. I know you're going to be so happy to see him. Are you that way? When somebody shows up that you haven't seen in a while, when somebody shows up that you've been praying for, when the missionaries come back, when the Mexico team comes back, when the Ecuador team comes back, when somebody's been in the hospital, when something like that goes on, the next time you see Jeannie Byers, will you be rejoicing to see their face? Paul's talking about one guy, Epaphroditus, and he says, you'll, you'll be happy. Look at verse 29 says, so rejoice, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. I'm telling you, this is the theme that comes out in the book of Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 1 is where he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says it again in verse 3. Then you move on over to chapter 4, verse 1. And he says, whom I love and long for, my joy. He's talking about the church is his joy. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then look at chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, resi- you have revived your concern for me. Y'all are rejoicing at times is pushed by the concern that others have for us. He didn't have to say it, but Curtis tonight said that he was thankful for me. That makes me rejoice, right? I'll be at 30 minutes late. Krista and Kennedy Ward come in at 6.30. Their watch was stopped. That makes me rejoice. I've always said, I used to tell Diane Diane Kirk before she passed away, y'all remember this, she'd show up to Wednesday night church at 7.30. And I would always say, hey, I'd rather you come at 7.30 than not come. And she's in heaven now. But sometimes we rejoice because of the way other people feel about us, because of the way other people treat us and what they say to us. And Paul's written this long letter, and he's pumping them up, and he's pumping them up, and he's pumping them up. But at the very end here, chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I want you guys to know I'm rejoicing in this prison cell because you care about me. There's a girl in our church whose husband left her, divorced her, with somebody else now. We're trying to work through it. And somebody told me that on Facebook today it was very, very, very ugly. Did you see it? Very ugly. So ugly that you don't want to know about it. And I don't comment on Facebook or do anything on Facebook. But I sent her a message that said, I'm so sorry. And I want you to know that we care. If we can do anything to help, let us know. I don't know if that made her rejoice, but I want it to, right? I want you to rejoice. I want my concern for you to rejoice. I want me showing up at Jeannie Byer's house last night at 9.30 to say, I'm so sorry your dad died. I want that to build her up. 
Now, Paul's rejoicing at them, and now he's rejoicing because they love him. So, there aren't many themes in the book of Philippians, but you can see right here there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, at least ten mentions of joy in the book of Philippians. If there is a theme, here's what it is. Your circumstances don't dictate your joy. He's in prison, and he is rejoicing in the Lord. Well, look back to chapter 3, verse 1, because that's not the only thing he says. I want you to see. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he makes this statement, and we'll be done. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Hmm. Paul's writings to the church is safe for them. It's not a trouble to him, and it's safe for them. What's that mean? Well, this is awesome. Because look what he says next, and I intentionally just preach verse 1 tonight, but look at verse 2. And Jake's going to preach this next Sunday night. He says, look out for the dogs. He uses strong language for people that are opponents. He calls them dogs. And let's just be real clear. We may not use that language, but y'all, people who aren't really Christian, that are acting Christian, people who aren't really the church, that are trying to do church, Paul calls dogs. Look what he says. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about false teachers. He's already written that. If you look back to chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And look at verse 28 and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Church people and effective people and ministers have opponents. They may not be making it known that they're opponents, but they're opposing the very thing that we're about. The good we're trying to do, the cause of Christ we're trying to live for, there are people out there who are messing that up indirectly or directly they are and Paul says that his writings are safe for them this is really good really good the apostle Paul who saw Jesus who was called into this ministry by Jesus served Jesus well on all of his missionary trips and because of his boldness and his being unashamed for the gospel, has now found himself in prison. But even from his cell, he still writes to the churches and he says, my teachings or my writings aren't any trouble for me and they are safe for you. Church, if you want to stay close to Christ, if you want to stay close to God, you make sure you stay close to the word of God. You make sure you stay close to the teachings of God. Going to church is not everything, but submitting yourself to the teaching of the word of God is. Imagine being a church 
And a letter shows up from prison from Paul. And he's hammering, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And then being reminded, my teachings are safe for you. Church, may God strengthen us tonight as a real church whose only hope is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that hope, we are now propelled or pushed or motivated to be that hope to the people around us. And may we know that rejoicing in the Lord is not from our circumstances, but rather from our God. And may that cause us to lean into his teachings. And may God keep us safe. May we truly stay close to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus for the book of Philippians, and for Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Father, I pray that we would truly rejoice and rejoice in the Lord because of knowing you. God, I pray that we would process what we're learning through the book of Philippians and even be ready for next Sunday night as Jake keeps going in chapter 3, verse 2. God, we love you. We thank you for our time here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.